Well, good morning, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches today. Uh, if this, today's your first time with us, we are so glad that you're here because we're in our third week of our sermon series. It's a five-part series entitled More Than Meets the Eye. And uh, if you have not been here, you really want to make sure that you're catching up on all this series. But before we get in um, today's talk, I, I want to remind you of something. Next Sunday is the fourth Sunday of the month. And on the fourth Sunday, what we do is we all join together as a church to show our community that God or God is for them because of the way that we are for them. So next Sunday, we have this amazing opportunity once again to bless our communities uh, in an area that many people and many families are being hit the hardest in this season. And we really feel like that it's going to open the door for many invite opportunities for our Easter experience. In fact, that's why you received a invite card just to remind you, hey, Easter's coming. You know, whoever that person is, God lays on your heart. Let me turn this up to the right side. Um, make sure that you're inviting them. This is, this is a prompt to live out the great command and the great commission to all of us and be inviting people for Easter. And there's also invite on the backside for Easter Jam. But four is one of the ways that we consistently throughout the year reach out in our community and just say, hey, we're for you. And the idea is is it creates enough uh, curiosity and then conversations and they realize we have common ground. They go, oh, these people are for us. That gives us the opportunity to say, hey, well, God is for you and that's why we're for you. So to do this, normally every fourth Sunday, we say, everybody, we would love for you to give $4. That, that's, and it makes a big difference when all of us at all of our churches come together and we all individually give $4. It absolutely adds up in a very big blessing. But this next Sunday, next Sunday we come together, I want to prepare you for this, we would like to encourage you to maybe consider $40. Somebody's got it. All right, there we go. Maybe consider $40. For some of you, it needs to be $4,000. For some of you, it needs to be $400. Do I get an amen out of that one now? Okay, so here's the deal. Um, or $100 or $50 or whatever, whatever you're able to do. Amount is not a barrier. The goal is to have 100% participation. And here's the thing. When all of this happens in a couple of weeks and we come together, give, and then we tell you what we're going to do with it, none of you are going to want to miss out on this. You're going to want to say, oh, I was part of that. And it was amazing. So I'm not telling you what it is because it's going to be absolutely amazing. But just pray this week and say, God, what is it that I need to do? What do I need to give to the four gifts that we're going to be doing? And then we think it's going to help so many families have been hit so hard in a specific area in this season of life and um, give you as a church many opportunities to invite people to be part of our Easter experience. So this week, pray, plan, ask God what you can do um, to really bless a lot of people, okay? So we're gonna come together and do that next Sunday. Now, go ahead and grab those RCC apps on your phone and open them up where you can find some talk notes to follow along. And um, if you wanna go ahead and uh, take your Bibles out and get ready, because we're gonna be going to the book of John, first chapter one and chapter three is we're gonna be in John. Now, in this series, what we've been doing over the last few weeks, and by the way, when you come in and you're a first-time guest here, you go, what do you mean by a series? Well, series is like one sermon in many parts, because it would be too long to do in one part. So this is like a one sermon over five weeks. So in this series, what we've been doing is we've been learning how our invisible world is being impacted daily by an invisible spiritual world. 
In fact, in week one and two, we looked at the evidence that helps us understand that there is more than meets the eye. There is an invisible spiritual world that impacts our visible world. Now, as I said, if you haven't been here over the last two weeks, I would encourage you to go back and listen or watch on our app or on our website to this series because I think you will find it so helpful and it's the foundation for all we're talking about today and for the next two weeks because in week one and two, we discovered that Jesus and Scripture, they are very clear that there is an invisible spiritual world that impacts our visible world. And he says, Jesus says, you shouldn't ignore it. He says it's so dangerous that it subtly sometimes twists the truth. It'll create lies that when we believe them, put us in great danger. In fact, Jesus, in a conversation with religious leaders in John chapter 8, he gives some very important and very unsettling insight into this invisible spiritual world. And Jesus says in that conversation, he says, it is led by the devil or another name for the devil is Satan. And he says that Satan's agenda was to kill. It was, and it still is. It was to kill, to steal and destroy everything that God created that is good. And then Jesus goes on to say in that conversation, he says, and Satan's ultimate agenda is the destruction of all human life. And don't miss this. While Satan's agenda is to destroy all of humankind, he is limited to lying and deception in order to carry that out. Make sure you get this. Satan's agenda is the destruction of human life, and how he accomplishes that is through deception. So not only did Jesus believe and talk about this invisible spiritual world, but in a letter that the apostle Apostle Paul wrote to a church at Ephesus, he talks about how important it is that we be aware of how this invisible spiritual world impacts our personal world. In fact, here's how he describes this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. So the Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, he's saying the most important thing you need to remember is that you have a spiritual battle going on with your enemy, the devil. And he goes on and basically says in this, as he breaks this all down in chapter six, he goes on to say, our biggest battle in life is really against the devil's schemes because that's the only thing that he can do to destroy humankind is he comes up with schemes or lies or deception or distortion. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at another one of the devil's schemes that he uses to try to destroy us. And the scheme is so subtle that most of the time, we don't even know that we are being attacked in this area. We don't know that we've been taken um, captive by the devil in this area. This scheme of the devil is so dangerous to us. I can't overstate it. It's so dangerous to us, and it's so dangerous to others around us because here's the thing. We never see this as the cause of the problems that we're experiencing in life. We never see this as the cause of pain that we're experiencing in life. We don't naturally see this as our problem when it has taken us captive. We blame everything else. But I want to tell you, when we are held in captivity by this scheme of the devil, it is a deception 
that is so powerful in our lives, so destructive in our lives. It is one of the primary reasons that we experience tension and problems and difficulties in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces, in our friendships. It's why there's so much tension and fighting in the world. But here's the thing. When you've been taken captive by Satan in this area of your life, there, there's things that just happen and you don't even realize it's because you've been taken captive in this area. For example, when you've been taken captive by this scheme, here's what happens. You struggle to celebrate other people's successes because secretly you want to be the most important person in the relationship. In fact, sometimes you will secretly celebrate when other people fail or don't get it right. In fact, you'll let other people know how other people have failed or they haven't got it right. Some other sign that you've been taken captive by this scheme is this, is you won't initiate apology when you're wrong. I mean, especially if you feel like that I was only like 10% wrong or 5% wrong or 2% wrong or 1% wrong. And then... Not only will you not initiate apology, but then you're going to argue to the point that, because you got to have the final word, because being right is more important than making the relationship right. And because being right is more important than making relationship right, you want to look right. So here's the other thing is you won't ask for or admit that you need help. Because see, if you ask for help or admit you needed help, then that's going to make you appear like you're not competent to everybody else because secretly you want to appear as the better person in the relationship. Now, some of you, when you've been taken captive by this scheme of Satan, you stay guarded emotionally. That's why many of us stay guarded emotionally. It keeps, a, we, we, we don't open up to others about our faults or our weaknesses. We try to hide them because you don't want anybody to think less of you. You just want people to see you as this very, very, I've got it together kind of person. And, and by the way, this tendency to stay guarded emotionally and make ourselves look better to other people than what we are, it's so often happens in so many of us. It's so common that there's a term for it as well. It's called the imposter syndrome. And let me just go, if you go through life feeling like that you're an imposter, it's because you probably are emotionally guarded and have been taken captive in this area. But it doesn't stop there. There's another sign that you've been taken captive by this scheme. And that is this, you feel a bit entitled. It's why you feel like you deserve better treatment than you received. It's why you go on Facebook and any other social media thing and, and you post how certain businesses didn't treat you right or certain people in your family didn't treat you right. You, you feel so entitled that somehow or another you can justify cutting other people down publicly, which goes totally against what God says of how we're to treat people. So we feel a bit entitled. Or here's another one. You feel entitled. You overestimate the value of your contribution, contribution and viewpoints about life. And what happens is when you feel a little bit entitled and you overestimate the value of your contribution and viewpoint about life, what you do unknowingly is you diminish others. Because you diminish, you, or excuse me, you overestimate your value and contribution, and therefore you underestimate the value of other people's contribution and their viewpoint about life. In fact, this is so common that there is a term for this one as well, known as the Dunning-Kruger effect. 
See, when Satan has taken you captive in this, all of these things begin to happen and you don't even realize it's happening. In fact, one of the other things that happens to you is this, is you get offended easily or you get your feelings hurt easily. And you would never admit it to anybody else. But a large majority of the time, the reason that you're in a bad mood most of the time, you blame it on other things. But your thoughts, your mind is in the process of pouting and feeling sorry for yourself because somebody hurt your feelings. See, this is what this deception does. And here's what this deception is. Everybody ready? You want to write this down. Here's the deception. It is pride. Now, before you glance around and look at somebody else and go, oh, I'm glad you're here today. (laughs) Or before you think about somebody else that you think, oh, they should be here today. I've got to figure out how to send this to them. Listen, this is an area of spiritual warfare that we all battle with every day. It is the reason for Satan's fall. It was the very first sin. And it is the initiator of all of our sins. Because Satan knows if he can get you to allow pride in your life, if it can become an attachment in your heart, even just a small amount, he can cause you to self-sabotage in so many ways. Don't miss this. There is nothing that distorts your perception of reality more than pride. And if you want a great story to help you understand that pride makes you insane, go read the book of Daniel, especially the story of King Nebuchadnezzar who's walking on the wall and he gets full of himself and God says, you're crazy. And he goes so crazy, he's out in the field. And then it says, and I lifted up my eyes to heaven and I recognized the sovereign God. And then he says this, then my sanity was restored to me. See, pride makes us insane. We think it makes us more sane. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He says, pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love, contentment, or even common sense. Listen, this twisting of our reality by pride is why pride is so dangerous and deceptive. See, some of you, you're struggling with feeling love and being able to love. And the reason you struggle with that is not because of other people, but it's because of this spiritual cancer going on your life. Some of you, you can never find contentment. It's always something else, somebody else, something else. If we could have something else, And you're blaming everything else, but it's this spiritual cancer in your life. And you think everybody else is crazy. But you hadn't looked in the mirror to realize that pride is a spiritual cancer in your soul. See, this distortion, let me help you understand how this distortion, this deception happens in our life. It takes our God-given desire to be known and celebrated in healthy, life-giving relationships. Don't miss this. It takes our God-given desire to be known and celebrated in healthy, life-giving relationships and turns it into an addictive appetite. Don't miss this. God created you to be known and to be celebrated. 
He wanted to know you. It's why he sent his son. He wanted you to know him. He, he created you to be known and to be celebrated. That's part of being made in the image of God. But pride, it creates this desire to be known and celebrated. So much so that we begin to look at the good things we do and we go, I did that. You should recognize that. You should recognize that. You should recognize that. You should recognize that. All of you at these other cameras, you should recognize that. That's what we do. We're like, all you people, you should recognize. You should notice and you celebrate what I did. And we get offended when people don't appreciate and recognize and celebrate and we're not known for what we did. But here's the thing. We really didn't do that on our own, did we? When you really stop and think about it, you didn't do that on your own. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar, he's like, look at this great empire that I've built. And God goes, oh, no, you didn't. Because God is the source and supply of all your gifts, all your talents, all your ability, any wisdom that you have. God created us. He gave us the ability. He gave us the talent. Everything that I do with my life and in my life is a gift from God. So taking any kind of credit or seeking any credit or demanding any credit when God is the source and supply is insanity to any sane person. But we do it every day. We do it as parents. I can't believe these kids don't appreciate what I'm doing for them. Oh my goodness. You know, I do so many great things for them. Our kids do it every day. I can't believe my parents don't see how amazing I am, how wonderful. And see, what pride does is it twists it so it becomes toxic like that. But in healthy, life-giving relationships, we automatically and naturally celebrate and applaud each other. But when it becomes demanded, oh, I can't believe my boss don't appreciate me more. I can't believe these people work for me. They don't appreciate me more. I just can't believe my neighbors don't appreciate me. Look how clean we keep our yard. They keep their house like a trash dump. You know, oh my gosh. See, we do this every day. See, in fact, what we do, this is our insanity. We all believe that we deserve more credit for using our gifts, our abilities, and our talents that God has given us than what we're getting. And many of you were angry at somebody when you came to church this morning because they didn't appreciate you enough this week. They didn't applaud you enough. They didn't make you known enough. And we call that demand for recognition and appreciation and credit sane. Make sure you get this. Pride twists our God-given desire to be known intimately and loved deeply by our Heavenly Father into an appetite to be known for something and applauded by someone. Listen. When you are taken captive by, of, by pride, there is no amount of known. There is no amount of applause that will satisfy your appetite. You're always going to think, oh, I deserve more. I deserve so much more. There's nothing going to satisfy your appetite for being known or applauded by the thing that you want to be known or applauded for. There's no accomplishment that's going to satisfy your appetite to be applauded. I mean, pride makes you so, like, full of yourself. I don't know how else to say it. 
Like you go, I deserve to be noticed. I deserve to be given credit. And it becomes a bottomless pit. And your spouse can never give you enough. Your your parents can never give you enough. I mean, your fellow classmates can never give you enough applaud or known. I mean, your, your coworkers can never celebrate you or applaud you enough because this is an appetite when it gets twisted that can never be satisfied. And the lie that you are owed more than you are getting is a scheme that will destroy you and all of your relationships. So the question is, how do you win this invisible spiritual battle? How do you keep Satan from destroying you and using you to destroy others through this issue of pride? Well, thankfully, God used someone to speak into my life in this area about 22 years ago. And this person just looked me straight in the eye and he said, you are so full of pride, there is no room for God in your heart. I was a pastor at that time. I mean, this person, he helped me to see that this appetite to be known for something, to be applauded by someone, he said, this thing is undermining God's work in your life, and it's undermining God's work in the lives of the people around you, and he says it's causing you to live in this constant state of insanity. And he said, you think you're the only one that's got any sanity, but you're living in this constant state of insanity. And I'm telling you, when that mentor helped me understand that this area I had been taken captive in by Satan's scheme, there was a verse that he he gave to me. It really helped me not only recognize my deception that I was living in, but the depth of the sin in my soul that pride was causing. And I'm telling you, this verse, it holds the key to spiritual victory against pride. And and we're going to find this in John chapter 3. Like here's what the apostle John says and that we must do if we're going to win this invisible war. I'm going to give it to you and then we're going to go back and unpack this whole process of how this came about in, in John's life. Notice what he says in John chapter 3, verse 30. He says, John is saying, he, referring to Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. The key word here is must. This is what must happen in our lives. If I'm going to have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, he must, every day he must increase and I must decrease. Now, that may not seem a whole lot to you like at first glance, but let me just kind of give you some context. These words, as I said, they were spoken by John the Baptist. And if you study the life of John the Baptist, you learn that he was the one that was sent to be the forerunner. He was to point people to Jesus. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. In fact, notice how he's introduced in Mark chapter 1, says, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem, key word is all the country and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sin. I don't want you to miss this. All the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out. That's a lot of people. So it's likely several thousand people traveling as much as several days from Jerusalem to listen to John the Baptist. So he's well known. In fact, he's at the height of his popularity. But notice what happens in verse 6. Now, John was clothed with camel hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, after me comes he who is greater than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I mean, this is quite a statement of humility. I mean, to revere someone so much that you feel like that you're not worthy to stoop down and untie their sandal straps. 
So John the Baptist is preaching. He's trying to prepare the way. He's trying to point people to Jesus. But because there's so much energy and so much enthusiasm around him, and because he's so well-known, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, they send priests and Levites to ask him who he was. So notice what he says. You're going to find this in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Here's what he says. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. See, because John the Baptist was so well-known, they wanted to know if he was a Messiah, if he was claiming to be the Messiah, or if he was like this false Messiah, because these religious leaders, they were always on the lookout for the, the true Messiah or the false, these, all these false Messiahs. But before they asked him that question, listen to his response. He says, he did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I'm not the Messiah. I mean, he didn't even hint around for a moment. He says, I'm not the Messiah. Notice what he says next. They ask him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He says, I'm not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. I mean, he did no image management here. Notice the next part. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say for yourself? Notice what he says in verse 23. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. He didn't inflate anything. He didn't make up anything. He said, here's who I am. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. So these leaders, they come to John the Baptist, and because of this large following, they go, who are you? And his response is, I'm the guy who's trying to point people to Jesus, to the Messiah. And don't miss this, because see, this could have been John's big moment. Could have been his moment to say, well, I'm John the Baptist, and here's my card. If you guys ever need a conference in Jerusalem, come get me. But, but that's not what he does. And we know he's sincere because of what happens next. See, sometime later, some of John's followers, they're starting to get bothered because he's been pointing the way to Jesus. And now some of John's followers, some of this crowd is leaving John and they're going to follow Jesus. So notice what John the Baptist's followers say to John. Notice in chapter three, beginning in verse 26, here's what they say. They came to John and said to him, that man, oh, there's a sign of pride. We don't even use a person's name. That man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, not using a name again, he is not using a name again, and everybody's going to. Yeah. Here's what's interesting about that. This is where it gets real personal. For most of us, to lose followers, to lose support, it's a little bit unnerving. You start going, what did I do wrong? What did I say wrong? It bothers us, doesn't it? Like when we feel like that we're losing the support or the, you know, our, some sense of popularity that we've created in our own heads. And it sure bothered John the Baptist's followers because in their mind, John, you shouldn't be losing any popularity. You shouldn't be losing any support. I mean, you should be growing. I mean, Jesus is taking your people and you're not going to be as well known and you're not going to have the crowds that you once had. But I want you to notice John the Baptist's reply because this reply brings us back to this amazing statement I shared with you early in chapter 3, verse 30. But in fact, I kept this statement on my desk for years trying to burn this in my brain so my heart would own it. And verse 30 is a mindset, it's an attitude of humility 
an attitude of it's not about us. It's not about me. It's this attitude that I am owed nothing and everything I do or have is a gift from God. It is the secret to breaking free from the deception and the captivity of pride. Notice this statement again, John chapter 30, verse three. He says these words. He says, he must, pretend it's up here. He must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. And what John is saying in that statement, he says, my purpose has never been to do anything about me for somebody to know me or for somebody to applaud me. I mean, you could say it this way. He says, my purpose is to point people to Jesus. And listen, folks, that's not just true for John the Baptist. That is true for every one of you at all of our churches. And by the way, anytime you are known for anything, anytime you are applauded for anything, it's never about you. It's about using that platform to make Jesus known. It has never been about you. The only reason you were ever known for something or applauded for any, anything is to make Jesus known. So to win this invisible spiritual battle, you have to remember, my purpose is not to be known for, it's not to be applauded by, but to make Jesus known. You could say it this way, my purpose is not to be known for something or applauded by someone, my purpose is to point people to Jesus. And when you get that right, don't miss what I'm about to say here. When you get that right, then God can allow you to be known for something and applauded by something, and it won't derail you because you will understand that platform that you have, that appreciation that you're experiencing, it's not about you. You being known for something and applauded by someone will be what God uses to point people to Jesus. And then... When being known and when being plotted begins to dissipate and slip through your fingers. And make sure you understand this. It will. Because it's never about you. God will give you a platform for a while and then it's over. But when being known and being plotted begins to dissipate and slip away, then you won't panic and you won't start feeding the appetite of being known for more and applauded for more. You won't be grasping for more applause and more and more applause. Instead, you will say with John the Baptist, hey, it was never about me in the first place. My whole place was to make Jesus known. He must increase. I must decrease. So how do I get to this place where I live with this attitude of humility that breaks the deception of pride? Well, I think there are some very core habits, some very core actions that can help you have victory over this. And, and you may want to write them down. I've used many different ones over the years. I'm just going to give you a few but I think you have to put these actions in place to help you know that you are breaking, to have something that get, makes you conscious that pride is being broken in your life. So let me give you the first one. Here's the first action step that I want to challenge you to take this week, and that is this. Don't say anything to manage anyone's impression of you. I mean, remember when they came to John? They go, who are you? He said, 
I'm not a prophet. I'm not the Messiah. I mean, he didn't try to manage anybody's impression. And sometime this week, you're going to be tempted to impress somebody with your accomplishment or your spirituality or your maturity. Listen, it's almost an ingrained condition response in every one of us because pride is an attachment in our heart. You're going to be tempted to put a spin on something. You're going to be tempted to say something so it makes you look better and somebody else look worse. And you're going to tell somebody something that you saw either on social media or YouTube or or TV or something or some movie, and you're going to say something like this. Of course, I don't usually watch or I don't spend a whole lot of time on that kind of stuff. Like you're going to be tempted to manage someone's impression you in some way, shape, or form. So instead of doing that, when you are tempted to say something that is going to somehow or another manage someone's impressions of you, just say in your mind, this is my chance to decrease so they and Jesus can increase. I will just be quiet. Now, if that's not challenging enough for us, let me give you action step number two. Make this a no complaint, no criticism, no critique week. Ladies, when your husband loads the dishwasher. (laughs) Husbands, when your wife doesn't cook the meal that you wanted, or it's not exactly like it used to taste. Sometime this week, you're going to want to judge someone's performance or someone's behavior. You're going to be tempted to point out how somebody did not measure up to your standard. Key word in there is what? Your standard, you little God. (laughs) You're going to be tempted to pass an evaluation on someone you think did the wrong thing or handled the wrong thing or handled something the wrong way or said something the wrong way to you and you're going to have your feelings all hurt. You're going to be so offended and everybody's got to know how offended you are. And it did measure again up your standard again. And you're going to be tempted to tell that person or you're going to be tempted to tell somebody else this thing that somebody didn't do to live up your standard and Instead of opening your mouth and complaining and criticizing and critiquing, instead of saying anything, just say to yourself, this is my chance to decrease so that they and Jesus can increase. I'll just be quiet. All right, let me give you number three. Here we go. Practice submitting to the desires of others quickly and without argument. For many of you, I should have just put this in red. Most of your argument has nothing to do with importance of the issue that you're arguing for. Most of your arguing and questioning has more with how important you feel like you are. So this week, you're going to have the opportunity to submit to the desires and preferences of others in an area that doesn't really even matter. 
But in the past, you would have argued about, and you'd have tied up people's time for 30 minutes, an hour, a day, a week, a month, whatever. For example, you're going to be sitting at home, and the remote control is going to be equal distance between you and somebody else in that house. And there's going to be this amazing sporting event on like March Madness or something. You know what I mean? And then there's going to be the disease of the week movie that's on. And you're going to be tempted to fight for your right to watch what you want to watch. And instead of reaching for that remote, instead of saying anything, just say to yourself, it's my chance to decrease so that they can increase and Jesus can be increased here. I would just be quiet. Listen, to win the spiritual war over pride, and it is a war. It is a war you will fight till the day you die. You daily have to have things in your life that make you confront the issue of pride. Because when your daily question at the end of the day becomes, did I decrease more so that others could increase, but more importantly, so Jesus was increased and elevated in the minds of people, you will start living with a less distorted reality about life. You will start living with less misery in your soul. You're going to find a whole new level of satisfaction because you don't feel like you're owed anything by God or others. And you're going to live without all these exhausting emotions that you always live with. See, we don't realize it, but the primary cause of our exhausting emotions relationally is pride. The reason you get so exhausted with the people in your life relationally, in your emotions, is because of pride. Less pride, fewer exhausting emotions that you're only experience relationally. And the other thing is, you're no longer going to shut others out and diminish others, and your heart will no longer, longer limit God's work in your life. So at the end of every day of this week, instead of asking yourself, hey, did anybody notice me? I can't believe them people didn't notice me. Oh, my goodness, I did so much today. Did they applaud me? Instead, ask yourself this question. Did I decrease more so that Jesus could increase? This is our question to break the power of pride in our life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, it's, it's tough. It's tough to look in the mirror and realize how we make it about us every minute of our day. I just pray that this conversation this morning will just begin the process in all of our lives of helping us to look in the mirror and realize that pride is not just some unhealthy emotion and therefore it's okay to stay in our heart and in our mind. Help us to understand, as C.S. Lewis said, that pride it's the cancer of our soul spiritually. It is a cancer. It must, it has to be removed. It can't be tolerated for one minute. So God, every time we see it, may we confess it. 
for what it is. God, I've got this spiritual cancer in my soul. And I need you to help me heal. So I'm choosing to begin the journey to descending while helping to increase and elevate all those around me. But namely you, Jesus, I must decrease today so that you can increase. So I pray, God, at the end of every day, we'll ask ourselves this question. Did I decrease today so Jesus could increase? And help us to be honest with ourselves, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone, thanks so much for being with us today. Can't wait for you to hear next week's talk. We'll see you. Don't forget to be inviting people for Easter. We'll see you next Sunday.